0: The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families, as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories, along with our own insights from the work we are doing, plus We'll be talking to the organizations making these cultural
1: changes the norm as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace well-being space a big part of my identity was to become a woman who has children who's raising kids you know and you get that from a young age as an african a girl like it's just so ingrained in how we what we're taught everything so
0: welcome to another episode of the
1: f word at work and i'm delighted
0: to have my two co-founders with me becky and claire i've got a date in their diary it's been a little bit mental for all of us but we're here, so how are you both? Good, thank you. Yeah. We're looking are at one are another going example
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs>
0: No all good, all busy, but good. Well, there was a couple of things that I wanted to just get your thoughts on. Um, If you've been looking at our socials lately, you'll hopefully have seen some of our findings that we've been sharing from an impact poll that we ran. And Becky spent hours writing it up into a blog post, which I'll make sure is in the show notes for this episode. But I just wanted you to give a kind of overview of it, Becky, because I know it was a a real labour of love, as all the things that we do often are. It was
3: something that we put out there to our community and obviously on instagram we've got an amazing community of people who are constantly sharing their experiences with us and one of the things that kept coming up was how people's careers or women in particular their careers were being impacted by going through fertility treatment and so we asked the community have your struggles to conceive and bring home a baby impacted your career and overwhelmingly with 93% um, and this was almost 150 people who responded said yes my career has been impacted in some way and I think in my head when we put the question out I, I knew it would be relatively high based on what we hear but I didn't expect it to be that big a number and so what we started to do was delve into okay why what are the common themes here and hundreds of responses came back just explaining how it had impacted their careers. And so I tried to go through these and, and pull them into common themes within the blog, which I think can give a real insight into what's happening for people when they're struggling to to bring home a baby. And, and one of those was around feeling stuck in their roles. So unable to p- progress and move jobs. And um, so job security is so important when you're trying to conceive. And because obviously at the end of it, the goal is to have a baby and and that will mean maternity leave. And so to move jobs at that point can be really difficult for people. People were saying they feel trapped by their circumstances. Um, and so it's just a real insight into what is going through people's heads. And then the other key themes were around the the emotional and physical impact affecting work, which we know we talk about all the time, the impact to people's confidence as they're going through this. So, so many things that we already knew, but were really brought out through this blog. Um, Another one was around impact on hours and pay as well. So people Not going for promotions because they didn't feel they had the headspace or feeling like they wouldn't be considered for it because they're going through treatment. People who are stepping down and reducing their hours. I was one of them. I took that sideways move and went to four days a week when I was going through multiple rounds of treatment. And so it then led into us thinking about everything that's happening with the gender pay gap and how this is actually also having a huge impact on on particularly women. They have to go through the the main part of treatment. So there's so much in there. So if you get a chance to have a look, have a read and please do share because it's getting these stories out, these quotes that are so powerful, along with the stats that really show how much of an impact this is having. And I think just the final one to mention in terms of themes was that was around poor management and lack of flexibility and that's exactly why we do what we do. That's why we're here. That's why we're trying to educate and raise that awareness. So yeah, I definitely think it's worth a read. And it's just a start really of our research. We're, we're always putting like, polls out and doing, we want to do some more research later on this year around the LGBTQ plus community. Data, will always back up what we do, but we'll always bring it to life through stories. And that's what we hope to do through that blog.
0: And Claire, you're nodding furiously to what Becky's saying. From a manager's point of view, what do you hope they'll take away from reading and taking? On some of these stats, we're trying to encourage that empathy and that understanding by sharing this type of information. So even if you've not got any friends that might be going through it, or or nobody in your team's kind of come to you that that you can really see the intensity of what they're what they're
2: dealing with. I think empathy, Nat, is the second stage of all this. I think even just recognizing this is an issue is probably the biggest barrier we face when we speak to people about it initially so you know there are people that I talk to you know in the street sometimes and not just randomly (laughs) I'm just actually chatting (laughs) to people in the street but people just go oh I didn't realize this was an actual problem and I didn't realize this is an actual thing but I think when people start to enter that space and actually understand the statistics that Becky's outlined and they are alarming and they are stark that actually oh gosh this is something that we need to understand in terms of workforce planning and what what our future workforce actually looks like. But also, I mean, you shared today, Becky, something
0: different but a really interesting blog about managers being better in their roles by taking on these different areas of well being and and the way that people are affected by these like life events and and how significant that is for their own leadership and their own. Like how they're showing up in their roles. And this is all kind of part of what we're hoping to achieve with this educational piece, isn't it?
3: Yeah. And it's to not say that managers, you need to know everything and you need to know all of this. And because, I mean, the blog that you were referring to, Natalie, it had a real stark um, data headline that almost 70% of people said that their manager had more impact on their mental health than their therapist or their doctor. That's amazing. And isn't it? equal to the impact of their partner um that's a good manager we're assuming yeah but it's a huge burden to put on managers as well to think actually you're having that much of an impact on someone's mental health so how can we equip them to support people through these different life stages it's not about having all the answers to hand but it's having that support pathway around you so that you can look at the situation go okay what does this individual need how can I understand what they need in a better way? And how can I approach these conversations? And and that's exactly what we want to try and do. We don't want to say that managers should need to know everything at the drop of a hat and should have to have everything to hand, but it's having that guidance around them to support them with it because they have a huge role at the end of the day. Um, but I often feel that the biggest impact through my own experience while I was going through fertility treatment at work was with my manager and how that made me feel and... The experience I had, so I can completely empathise with that in terms of the impact on mental health around those individual manager experiences. So, yeah, and Claire, you're nodding again. <laughs> yeah, I'm
2: just thinking. I'm just thinking back to the last couple of years in terms of what's been on my agenda as a HR person, and I'm seeing a lot more around domestic violence. There's a recent article from the CIPD around a divorce and how we should support people going through divorce and the impact that has on mental health. So it's funny how you know, COVID has put us into a space where there's more understanding of people's personal lives. Because, you know, the the old sort of don't bring your personal problems into it. Yeah, that, that is so kind of 1980s, even 1990s now, you know, there are real conversations. But yeah, we, we don't need people to be absolutely know everything about the internet. It's just about being kind and actually having that basic empathy about saying, okay, I recognise and validate that this is something that might impact someone else, not necessarily me. And I need to be careful around how
0: I deal with it. And you're obviously listening to this and hopefully, you know, the conversations that we have and we're sharing with you on the F word are of use and maybe you're sharing them with colleagues. Becky mentioned that impact blog, which we'll make sure is in the show notes. Another opportunity for you to delve even deeper and get some training is something that we've just launched. So we have our membership and if we haven't already spoke to you and you've been thinking about it, we'd love to. But one of the things we've just done is launch a specific training workshop, which we've been actually been running for our members We had such a great response from it. We wanted to spread the love a bit more. And we've just this week been talking about it on our socials and offering up the chance for you to buy a place. Claire, do you want to explain a bit more about it? Because it's something that you've been heading up. Yeah, the
2: the training covers about a guide to infertility and why it matters, why it's a business issue. There's a lot of shared um, real life experience in there and it gives an opportunity for people in organisations to ask those questions that they may not necessarily feel safe doing so in another environment or or in a real-life situation where they might upset somebody. Um, to be fair, the, the the feedback has been overwhelming in terms of the impact and that, that light bulb moment, which I've just described about the first step is that understanding and validation and that, gosh, this is a real thing that impacts people. And I think bringing people to the table and giving them that information is, just changes how people then navigate conversations in, in the workspace. So it's happened on the 28th of
0: March. If you listen in real time, there'll be a link in the show notes. Also, it's on our socials um, on the Fertility work website. But if you're on the move, don't worry. Just have a look at the show notes when you've stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, places are limited, but we are going to be running them later in the year. So if you get there and they've already gone, then don't worry, you can register your interest for the next one that we're running. But we really hope that it is something that, you know, you're up for getting involved with. If not, just drop us a note if you want to talk more as we say there's plenty of ways that we can carry on this conversation one of which is what you're about to hear and that is a conversation from our f word at work series that ran last year we had regular lunch and learns with our community and we've been repurposing them on the podcast now you're going to be hearing from a lady called nonny martins nonny's done amazing work with the community that she set up supporting black women dealing with infertility and you'll hear all about her reasons behind at her own struggles and just what she has learned from having a chat with her community about how they're feeling. Now, before we get into this episode, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity which is Next Generation Fertility. And Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now to explain that, the technology Apricity use is through their virtual model, So they have virtual consultations and specifically their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey so they never miss an injection. They have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Pricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans and individual patients. And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology, and unlimited support. Now the Apricity fertility benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company, for either flexi benefit, cash allowance, or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.life. So we're gonna be welcoming Nonnie Martins. Nonnie is Zimbabwean British, and her husband is Nigerian British. And the pair have been trying to conceive for five years. Now three years ago they discovered that they needed IVF. They thought the issue initially was male factor however further investigation has shown it's female factor. Noni and her husband are still on their journey and Noni's been doing amazing work as I mentioned at the start. Uh, she's a blogger and a podcaster and she has this brilliant support network for black women called Unfertility which aims to destigmatize this conversation within the black community. So Noni a massive welcome to the F Word at Work.
1: Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this conversation. It came up the right time when I was just thinking about work and IVF. So I'm really happy to be here. Well, it's really good to have you here. And the reason I mentioned your
0: background is because I know that you talk about that issue within your community. And I I just want to start with talking a bit about your upbringing, maybe what you thought having a family would look like.
1: For sure. So I grew up in Zimbabwe. I moved to England when I was 14. And um, a huge part of how we're raised is supposed to be a wife at some point. It starts very early on. So you know when you're really young that you're going to be somebody's wife and what being somebody's wife means you're going to give them children and so there's this kind of linear expectation of how you're going to get there as well um I did everything right in the sense that I met my my then boyfriend we did the right thing I had a traditional wedding and then we had a white wedding and then you know I did everything perfect and I thought of course I've done everything perfect I'm in the UK and I still follow my culture so I'm going to get pregnant soon and we actually started trying before we got we we got married because we're not really that traditional to be honest we were living together all the things that you're not meant to do um so we started trying just before we got married and I remember thinking in my head oh let's kind of get a head start because when we're married then maybe we'll already be like I don't know six months pregnant or whatever and then um we got married and still we weren't pregnant so that was probably year two at that point and I remember thinking oh what's going on all the stuff i have been taught and I had seen growing up was women just falling pregnant like that. Even when they're not married, they just get pregnant. Everybody's really fertile, this hyper fertile narrative of Black women and men. You just think it's going to happen, you just do. And when it started it not happening, my first instinct wasn't, oh, I need to go and speak to somebody, a GP, or I didn't even associate like science or medicine or anything with my wanting, my, my desire to have a baby. Because in my mind, that's just a big part of my identity was to become a woman who has children who's raising kids you know and you get that from a young age as an African a girl like it's just so ingrained in how we what we're taught everything and so when it didn't start happening I had a serious sense of shame that against all my friends and all the people that I grew up with and people that maybe don't even have you know healthy lifestyles or you start seeing really crazy things and they're falling pregnant I just couldn't get why I wasn't you know and so I thought there's something wrong, obviously, with me. It has to be me because everybody else is falling pregnant. And my husband being Nigerian, I was the only non-Nigerian. And they all had children. So I thought it has to be, you know. <laughs> and then um, in the third year, I think two and a half years into it, that's when we, no, you know, I had the pelvic pain, really bad pelvic pain. And I ended up in A&E. And it was there when I was there, the nurse was asking me, OK, so are you trying to conceive, you know, the usual questions? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, actually, we are. And then she said, um, how long have you been trying and I was like two and a half years, and she just looked at me like, you know, kind of like, okay, why have you? And then, then she was like, oh, have you seen somebody about this? And I was like, no, very casual. I was like, no, and she was like, okay, that's quite a while to wait, sort of thing. I'm going to refer you to gynecology. She didn't give me a whole spiel. She was just like, okay, I'm going to refer you to gynecology, but that's really a long time to wait. And then we got catapulted into the world of the investigations and everything was centered on me because I never mentioned at any point to um the gynecologist that my husband had been a dialysis patient for about 10 years at that point okay and because in my mind I was so centered on it's me so let's test me 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 and then when everything came back you know kind of normal basically normal I just have an irregular period that's all he was like okay so how about your husband and then I started telling him he was like oh okay we need to test him tested him and then of course anything with with, um, men I think even a cold can affect you know their sperm and how it is and so we came came back with um, male factor infertility and he was like the only way to conceive his idea and I I just wasn't even expecting anything like that um, at all but we were like okay fine this is just the medical you've got to do this you're going to get a baby That's it. In my mind, I was like, we're going to do this once. And of course, three rounds of failed embryo transfers later, there's just this kind of, I think, especially after our third failed embryo transfer, I was quite bewildered that like, I don't get what's going on. Yeah. To a black couple, we're healthy. We're you know we're good people, and I just don't get how this is not working for us. And this is everything that we've been taught to arrive at, and it's not happening. And it just it sent me on a complete spiral. I think at that point because I just I couldn't understand. I couldn't even make sense of it. Like in a medical, like okay, you've got this issue that it just wasn't making sense to me, and it still doesn't. You know, in many ways, but yeah. I know that this is the journey that I'm on.
0: And during those three cycles, you're in work. Yeah. So I know we're going to talk about you've changed your work past and we're going to get to that as to where you're at now. But when you were going through that, were you able to be open? Did you
1: feel that you could talk about what was happening? Oh, so actually my first day, my first day of IVF was my first day on the job. Right. So I had to tell them and they were really, really understanding. And I think they were also understanding because they were quite naive about how long it was going to take. So the first cycle, they were very compassionate. Like, you know, I, I had everything um, and I think as it went on for longer, it's not as easy to keep giving somebody compassionate leave. And yeah. you know, whenever when other people are not asking for it as well. So um, I think there's that balance where they maybe some companies do want to do the right thing, but it's like we can't keep doing this for you and not not other people. Um, but they were very very understanding, and they still are. Just now, I probably have to use my holidays a lot more, and then obviously having changed my work pattern. And to accommodate that.
0: And this is why we talk about the importance of having guidance of some sort, not necessarily a policy, because we whilst we know how beneficial policy can be, we don't want it to be a policy for policy's sake. But we want there to be this cross the board understanding of what somebody needs and, and what they're going to get so that there is a consistent approach. But I just want to go back a bit to your your husband and, and how he was feeling because culturally as well, as we've touched on, there's such an assumption that it's not going to be an issue with 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 the man how, how was he managing and in, in his work capacity was it was he coping with what was going on
1: I think he was and I think because he's been a dialysis patient for so long he's had to manage his health and work so for him that element of it wasn't necessarily new and I think he's managed that really really well um by the way he's not a dialysis patient anymore he got a kidney transplant last year okay. um but I think that I think now he talks about it a bit more now, whereas initially he didn't. And I think that was because he was trying to support me. And that's what men do, don't they? They get into the supportive role and you don't really get to hear. And sometimes you don't have the capacity to hear what they're going through because you're going through so much. And it's only now um, that we've been at it for quite a while that he, he will say things like Christmas. Like I remember last Christmas, like I was just feeling off. And he said, to be honest with you, I feel off around Christmas because meant, it's meant to be such time for babies and children and we don't have any. And that's the first time he said something like that to me, so I think now he's he's definitely coming out and saying things a lot more, but before I would say it was just very much like, "This is what we need to do, let's do it." And he's very logical anyway, and wanting to support me over you know him and and what he he thinks so yeah, I think it's also hard as well to strike that balance as especially with male factors, either supportive wife doesn't make him internalize. You know the diagnosis, but also you're still you're you're accepting it yourself. You know, so that's been hard to balance. I'll say that.
0: And also in terms of the conversations with family, when you talk about those times like Christmas, when everybody's together and the questions come, how are you managing that? Or you say that the family, you know, siblings have got kids, and
1: yeah, yeah. And I think um, before we before I started speaking publicly about our journey, those questions were a lot more. But because people know now, they tend not to ask. But then it's gone the other way where they don't ask you know it's kind of like really awkward to ask because I don't want to trigger you and then sometimes you can feel like people don't really care because they don't ask um, but the questions come with strange people that don't know that I'm on this journey people do ask me questions all the time at family gatherings I had a, um, one of my mom's friends she was like oh why is she wearing um, a, a flowy baggy dress and my mom was like no she's not pregnant my mom came to me and literally scrunched up my dress to the side to expose my no belly, you know, because people were just making the assumption that oh, she's pregnant because she's married and she's at this stage of her life and she's wearing a baggy dress. And I was just like, I just like wearing this dress and I'm not pregnant. But you have to, these things happen in front of people as well. So you, I always feel, particularly being African, uh, that I don't have the responses that maybe you might have and it would be fine to me if I said anything I'm being disrespectful I'm not respecting my elders and that's not what we're you a know, culture. it's just not a, you just don't so you you don't say anything or you laugh it off but then you're coming away quite triggered you know I, I just don't always feel I have that uh to say something to say something that's quite direct let me say say oh actually I'm really trying and you, you're, you're offending me I, I don't feel I could say that I'll just probably say oh you know um, I'll laugh it off and just say, yeah, soon, because I feel like that's easier than the consequences of saying something that might come afterwards.
0: I think taking on the role of the educator is a huge thing in itself. And I've had lots of conversations with people who, like you're saying, just don't don't want to have to do it. Equally, there's people that are adamant that they're going to yes. say, yeah. we're trying, we've had this much to go on and it's really difficult. And therefore back off, obviously, yeah. in a more respectful way. So you've obviously built this incredible community with Unfertility and your podcast and your blog. What kind of conversations have you then heard from people uh, like relevant to the workplace? Have you found people talking about that kind of struggle to disclose uh, the the link with how they're feeling within their community? Are they kind of passing off that assumption in the
1: workplace? Have you heard? Yeah, for sure. I actually had a, we have a support group every month and the last one was work in IVF and it was remarkable to me how many women were doing IVF in secret at work and because I've not had to do it in secret I just couldn't imagine anything worse they were having to go to the toilets to do the injections and nobody knows and they didn't feel they could trust work so a lot of people were quite worried about um, what people will say about them behind their back once they've told them about IVF so there's there's a lot of this like kind of paranoia about people knowing even in the workplace and I in my head I just couldn't Because I've not had that experience. I feel like that would make the whole experience quite worse for me. People at work didn't know, you know. Um, So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of resistance to tell people at work. I've seen, and especially with black women, because they just don't trust that it's going to be kept in the confidentiality and sensitivity that it requires. That's
0: heartbreaking to hear, isn't it? You hear people generally are nervous about disclosing, but it's so prominent, especially if it's being kept from your nearest and dearest as well. You can just imagine the weight of that emotional toll. Yeah. When they went yeah. Through.
1: Um, yeah, yeah.
0: So let's talk a bit about your work situation because you're in quite a small business and I'm interested in the kind of advice that you might offer to smaller businesses because we know that they can maybe worry if they feel they might be under-resourced with the assumption that it's going to work which often we're trying we try to break those misconceptions with the organizations we work with that just because someone might say that they're having treatment it doesn't guarantee you know a positive outcome but you you've been open with work and you've recently started a new work pattern and we talk a lot about flexibility and reasonable adjustment and how it doesn't have to be set in stone what this looks like but could you just talk us through what you've been discussing and what's working for you because I, I, I think I'm right in saying that it's working quite well I know it's in early days.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And, but I'll be honest with you, I was quite scared to ask. When they said yes, I didn't know why I was scared to ask. Because IVF, you can't see it. So I'm still turning up to work and I'm still probably delivering, you know. And you can't see the physical or the okay. emotional strain. And I, I, couldn't, I felt like I couldn't justify why I wanted to change my work pattern, you know. Mm-hmm. I also think that because they've been quite reasonable and really um, compassionate, I've, I felt I could ask. Whereas I think if I was in a different context, I don't know whether I would ask. Um, so I used to work, we worked the four day week anyway, but I found that I was doing four longer days because, you know, it gets busy, whatever. And I was really tired on that day off. I I literally didn't do much. So I thought if I spread out those 30 hours over five days and do six hour days, I can kind of have a bit of a lion because I also have insomnia. So I don't sleep, um, early or well. And, um, just having that extra hour or hour and a bit in the morning, makes a huge difference to how my spirit is my body and everything so on that in that respect is really working and especially when i'm doing ivf mornings are the worst for me you know and i, I explained that time i was like mornings are the worst i'd like to start a little bit later and i justified it because we have um colleagues in america and i was right. like well they start later as well so actually it's probably better for me to start a bit later so i kind of used the situation to my advantage to kind of basically make them say yes but um I think I felt I could I could ask them, although I was anxious about asking them because they've been compassionate. I'm not sure if they weren't or if they didn't know. I don't know how I would frame that.
0: Yeah, totally hear you. And I think that kind of you leading the conversation about what you need is so helpful because one of the things that we also suggest is that that you know if managers are nervous or or, or worried about how to manage it by letting the person going through it lead and explain like you just did it's very specific you know what's going on with you and that's the other thing we tried to highlight that there's no one size fits all with this in terms of how you're going to respond to the treatment what the treatment is what else might be going on um so i think that was really smart and really good to hear that they were open to you offering solutions um because there's such fear isn't it that people might it is not committed
1: yeah and i think one of the things she said to my managers to me like i'm so glad you told me all of these things because I also don't know sometimes whether to ask, but also it just helps me frame like how we can support you. I wouldn't know these things if you didn't say anything. So yeah, you're right. I think I think sometimes you just have to say it, <laughs> ask for it. And in
0: terms of small, smaller organisations, was what was the kind of reaction from your colleagues? Do they know what you're doing? Has there been any questions asked that you haven't wanted to, because obviously it's one thing having the confidentiality with your, your line manager, but you might not want everybody to know, well, are you quite open? Do
1: people know? people do know um because we're so small so initially when we started when I started there's only five of us and I felt like I couldn't say well I'm not coming to work (laughs) but like when it didn't fail and I had to be signed off work I just thought I don't want to pretend like it's something else and have to go back to work and maintain this lie so I was just like oh IVF didn't work and I'm not going to be in work for x amount so they've always known they don't say anything unless I say something Unless they're trying to say something like, oh, like yesterday was, oh, how are you coping because you're on treatment with the heat? That's fine. Um, but generally, they won't say things unless I bring up. Conversation. So, yeah, I think people are afraid, but I think they've. When I talk about it, they equally they engage me. If that makes sense. Yeah. So small, it's really hard. To, it'd be very hard to not engage. Me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and also, I mean, we talk about how people don't know what they don't know. And so mm. you mentioned that whole role of the educator earlier that you might not want to be doing with your your, your friends and family, but in this scenario, it's almost to your benefit. And we do hear yeah. people who do disclose, do have an easier time, but you've talked about your community talking about their fears. But was, was there anybody who, you know, they did choose to disclose and then they were actually met, they were surprised that they were better supported or have people not had... Have you not had any positive ex- like examples shared?
1: And and I also just need to stress that I'm quite an anomaly in the sense that I talk about this publicly. A lot of black women are not doing this. So not even with their families. So you can imagine at work. Yeah. That's not, they just don't do it. I think if they have like a friend at work, like one lady said she, one of her friends outside of work actually works with her and she told her. But I think it's this idea that if you tell one person at work, it might end up like, 15 people talking about you behind your back, and is that real fear? The same fear we have about our community talking about us behind our back and saying, Oh, how come she can't get pregnant? It's the same at work. So, I, the women that were there, none of them said they'd actually told beyond their line manager. I think there was a couple of people who told their line manager, but no one where there was like a team of people that knew, you no. Know?
0: And what do you think would encourage? black women especially, to feel more comfortable and confident to to be able to talk about this at work? Because we're, we're, for example, doing these panel discussions where we work with an organisation and we hold this panel discussion talking about the issue and it's open to all employees and 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 what we find people are saying, you know, this is amazing to hear that you're talking about it. Do you think that kind of thing would work if it was like senior management saying, we recognise this, we understand it, we want to provide support with you and this is where you can find
1: it? I think so. And I... I, I think it's also, and this is really ambitious because it can't happen because we are a minority, but I think when people see themselves yeah. work. Represented. Yeah, I think that, the power of that is so huge, you know. Um, and I think maybe even after the, the support group, people might feel like they can, because I was explaining my own situation or, um, but I think, yeah, I think at work, maybe if, if people felt like they could come with, they could express themselves about IVF or whatever it is, and 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 not be judged or not. Because one of the things that one of the ladies said was that she thought maybe people would worry about her work. Yeah. If she said she was doing IVF, and she's like, I just don't want that pressure of like maybe they now looking at me like you know has she done her work because she's doing IVF. She was like she doesn't want that pressure. So I don't know whether the words of saying we can support you would do anything for Black women, but I think I think maybe having a space that is independent work that they can access probably that's really interesting
0: i wanted to just talk about a recent um post that you've shared on your instagram um and you've kind of highlighted that you've chosen to move away from the platform and um just for those of you watching there's a really kind of uh vibrant and um engaged community on instagram it's kind of called the the ttc the trying to conceive community and there's all sorts of levels that people share in terms of people will literally share when they're going through their cycles. People will share what's what's worked, what hasn't worked. And you talked, Nonny, about how there's often a lot of people that are sharing their wants, they've had success. Um, but you've made the decision and you've said it's due to your own self-care. And I just wanted in these last few minutes for you to just talk about the importance of those boundaries that people need to put put up for people watching this to understand. Because we talk about the emotional toll and it being so significant and it's it's everywhere friends family work but also this whole obviously um social media side of things and if you're going through something you don't know where to find out information you do find yourself going down forums or joining communities on online it can be beneficial but can also be detrimental to your mental health as as you have very openly said don't just share a bit more with me about that decision
1: yeah, so one of the things that I think IVF has gifted me with is i it's pushed me to the edge where I, I have to be really intentional and conscious about is this working for me or is this not? And for a long time, I'd felt like that about um, Instagram. And because when you log on, it, it's really polarised. I felt if it was a bit more balanced, I might have said, you log on, there's someone either really distraught about something or someone you know joyful about obviously becoming pregnant. And when you can't identify with either of those things, it, you can just be in this kind of, it, it just for me, um, made me feel worse about being in this limbo kind of space, you know, this kind of almost motherhood and accessing stuff that's pertaining to motherhood and then also to the trying. It was just, I felt like it was a constant stream of of triggering and um, content for me personally. And I just, and I kept thinking, well, I'll put this community and fertility, blah, blah, blah. But then I just thought to myself, I've got to put myself first like I can't be thinking and that's what IVF has done for me it's forced me now to kind of always put myself first because i probably previously I wasn't that kind of person so I just looked at it and I thought actually this is not working for me at all and my mental health in the last year after the third cycle had just gone down so much and I just thought I can't force this anymore and I don't want to and the people that will rock with me Off Instagram will come with me. And if they don't, that's okay. But even just stepping back from like commitments and just saying, I need space for me and I need to kind of push back, put back into myself and pull back into me for now, you know, it doesn't have to be permanent. But for now, yeah, I just felt like I needed to put myself first and apologetically as well and just say, this is actually what I need and I'm going to do it.
0: And I think for anybody watching, I think that's such an important insight into how all consuming this is on so many elements of our day-to-day life. Not only are you dealing with triggers walking down the street, but yeah. you know, you've got the workplace side and you know who knows what might happen in terms of conversations about babies, baby showers, all these yeah. kind of triggering elements, which are all part of our education that we want to alert people to these things that you might not even have thought about. But just hearing you talk about how you're just picking up your phone and looking at social media and how triggering that can be as well. And that importance like you say of putting yourself first i think is is really good for people to hear because i think you do have to have this resilience don't you when you're yeah. kind of going through this and that does shape you and it impacts the conversations you have with friends mm-hmm. and said on social media with family so many different kind of extremes Really? yeah and thank you for 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 explaining that. I think it'd be really interesting really important for people to to have heard that. Thank you. So Nonie's details will be on the show notes. And I was really struck when she made that comment about how she didn't feel because you can't see the IVF, that she was justified in asking for her days to go down from five to four. And Becky, at the start of the episode, you said that it was something that that you did. And we talked about the impact blog and the number of people that have said to us that they have had to maybe take a sideways step or, or really like look at how they are able to show up at work because of the impact this is having on their mental health. Do you think that people are understanding that as
3: much as we need them to i think it all comes back to that hidden loss isn't it fertility loss is a hidden loss i often describe it as nothing changes on the outside but everything changes on the inside and and that's what happened for me and also it's like another full-time job so you're trying to come to work deliver but you're also trying to navigate your way through treatment as well and so i think it's quite natural for some people to maybe look at their jobs and think okay Is there anything I can do temporarily? And that's why we we talk about flexible working and for that to be a reasonable adjustment to make to help somebody through this life event. The way Nonnie described it there, I still remember having a conversation myself about, and I was actually in two minds as to whether or not to leave my job and take a career break because things were getting too much and having to justify changing your work pattern for a reason that isn't really known about is really difficult. And I remember thinking to myself as I had that conversation, hold on a minute, I was expecting to ask to reduce my hours or to go part time or to have flexible working once I'd had a baby. And so I was in this position where I hadn't got a baby, I really wanted to have a baby. yet I was going and I was saying, is there anything that can be done? Because I, I just can't manage the two at the moment. And And I really wanted to stay in the workplace. And I think that's the thing to consider. We know from our research that 36% of people will consider leaving. We know that 70% almost will take time off sick during that. So having these conversations and actually talking about flexible working in a way that doesn't just sound like it's just for parents, because there's also other caring responsibilities and other things, reasons why people will need flexible working, but for it to be a safe inclusive environment where somebody who might be going through a difficult life event and might need that extra flex can ask for it and feel like they're able to still remain at work. And then you get that benefit, don't you? You've got the engagement, the retention, which we know is so important of talent. I was really pleased that nonny brought that up because I think there's a lot of people that will feel the exact same way. Going to have a conversation about reducing your hours is a difficult one to have anyway. But when you're having it when it's for a reason that no one's really aware of Um, then it's even more scary. So I think fertility loss, that's something we talk about so much through everything we do, and we really try and bring it to life for people. It's a really important thing to bear in mind, I think, when someone's going through this.
2: I think what's really important to recognise here is that people don't necessarily need flexibility for a reason. There's a lot of people now asking for flexibility because they just want flexible working. So it's, it's interesting that you make that point, Becky, but I think if something's going on in somebody's life or not people still have the right to ask for that in work So
0: hopefully that's given you lots to think about. I have to just say we had some fun technical gremlins as we were just trying to round up that episode. It's always going on here at the F Word at work. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so because we want you to stay up to date with what we're doing. Also, we've got a brilliant newsletter that you can sign up to and that is where we announce the workshop that we've been talking about firsthand. So again, check out the show notes because you can sign up for that and you get first on various things that we've got going on. But subscribe, share it if you'd like to leave us a review. For the podcast, that would be so helpful as well because it just lets other people know that this is worth their ear holes. Thank you for your time, and uh, join us in a couple of weeks. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events that we have, as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community. We're at Fert Matters Work on Twitter. Plus, we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com at If from what we've shared with you, you feel ready to talk more about how your organisation can become fertility friendly, do book a call via the website link. It will be great to hear from you.